Hi, welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David. I'm the pastor of Foundation Church, and we're returning to our study through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the person and the works of this man who stands in the center of the Christian faith, Jesus of Nazareth. And we're reading today together from chapter 2. So let me read to you from Mark chapter 2. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, the link will come up uh, on the video as well. Beginning at verse 18. This is God's word. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Today we're learning uh, more about the kingdom of God. Uh, that's the context that we're talking about here. In fact, um, we're going to learn two things about the kingdom of God from Jesus' response to the Pharisees in these few verses. First of all, number one, we're going to look at the context of the kingdom. And secondly, number two, we're going to look at the contradiction of the kingdom, the context and the contradiction. And this is part of our sort of evolving understanding, our growing understanding of what the kingdom of God is, what it looks like, and how Jesus comes to open it to the world. Uh, so first of all, the context of the kingdom. Uh, and uh, the verses that we've just read together um, are, are set against a discussion or a debate, I suppose, between the Pharisees and Jesus. Uh, and the question came up fairly early on in the ministry of Jesus, why don't your disciples fast, the Pharisee said. Um, the disciples of John the Baptist, they fast. The disciples of the Pharisees, they fast. Why don't your disciples fast, Jesus? Of course, fasting um, is a voluntary giving up of food um, for a period of time so that there could be a sort of almost like a focus uh, of self-denial so that someone um, can focus on spiritual food, focus on God, if you like. And um, it was considered, still is today, uh, to be considered as a, a mark of piety, a mark of righteous living. If you were serious about your spiritual walk, uh, you would engage in fasting regularly. It was considered to be one of the pillars of um, Jewish religion. Fasting, um, giving to charity and the prayers. Those three things were the, what made a serious follower of religion. And of course, this group, this sect or denomination within Judaism called the Pharisees, they took uh, this to the, uh, you know, an extreme level. Fasting uh, twice a week, in addition to all the prescribed fasts that are laid down in the Old Testament law books. Um, and so they come to Jesus and his disciples and say, well, why are your disciples not fasting. Surely it's, it's a given, isn't it, that anyone serious about religion should be fasting. Why are yours not fasting? It could well be that those asking the question were seeking to discredit Jesus and his followers and just show them to be inferior somehow and, you know, lower standards. 
Um, not, not, not as great as us Pharisees who are really serious about the law. That's probably the, the, the basis of the questions, but we're not entirely sure. Anyway, either way, as we see here, and we've been seeing already starting uh, last week, uh, the Pharisees are struggling. They're wrestling uh, with Jesus. They're just trying to understand what box can we put him into. Uh, they, they just found him difficult to, to receive and grapple with. And so anyway, Jesus, um, very cleverly, he's a clever guy, he, he answers their question with another question. And so he says in verse 19, well, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Uh, and he goes on to say, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Of course, the answer to his question is no. You know, no one goes to a wedding party expecting to fast, right? Uh, a wedding is a place of celebration. Uh, it's a place of feasting. And, 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 and turning up and fasting at such an event is just clearly inappropriate. You don't do that at weddings. We know this. If you've been to a wedding um, and a wedding celebration, you know this. You're expecting the food to come out and everybody can enjoy and celebrate by sharing a meal together. And that's what happens. A wedding is a wonderful thing, right? It, it, it's two people uh, sharing life together. And particularly for those who are uh, Christian, from a, uh, followers of Jesus, from a Christian background, uh, it's even more exciting because we, we, you know, Jesus teaches uh, that marriage points to God and his people. Um, in fact, in the Old Testament itself, God is referred at times to as the bridegroom, as the one coming for his people. And so marriage um, is exciting because uh, it mirrors God coming to his people and uniting himself with them and, and coming for them, the object of his affections, his God. And so it's a time of celebration. It's a time of feasting and of joy. Jesus, of course, here wasn't saying that fasting is bad. Um, elsewhere in scripture, particularly uh, Matthew chapter 6, um, he affirms fasting. He says, you know, he expects his disciples to fast. But the point here is it's just inappropriate given the context. And so, of course, the, the Pharisees, as we've started to see and we see here today, they misunderstand the context of the kingdom. Fasting is all about hungering. It's about self-denial. It's about preparing, uh, yearning for God and what he can give and, 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 and asking for that and, and wanting to draw closer. And that's, that's a good thing. But Jesus is saying, now God has come. You know, Jesus has been preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. The, the presence of God, the reign of God has now come among you. It's breaking in. The kingdom is here. The, the thing that you have been preparing for and awaiting has now arrived. We've gone from fasting to feasting, says Jesus. It's all about the context of the kingdom. And fasting is just wrong given the setting. Even in verse 20, Jesus hints at his own death on a cross. Um, he says, uh, you know, the days are coming or will come when the bridegroom is taken from them. Then they will fast. Then there will be a time of mourning in the future, he suggests. But either way, can you see how the context of the kingdom then sets up the behaviour uh, suitable for the context. Um, fasting, um, as, uh, sorry, in place of fasting, 
feasting and joy and celebration because the kingdom has come. The, the bridegroom, which is Jesus himself, God himself, has come to his people. It, it changes the way that we act, right? It changes the behaviours, the practices that we embrace. The kingdom is coming. Joy and celebration. It changes our stance, right? It changes our fundamental attitudes. Um, we, we, we've already seen over the last few weeks in our study so far um, that the, the news of the kingdom uh, that Jesus comes to proclaim is utterly astounding. It is awe-inspiring. It says that when Jesus announced the kingdom and, and opened the, the Old Testament scriptures, that people were astonished at his teaching. The clarity and the power and the content of his teaching because he was teaching that the kingdom is coming and it's coming through me. This, this news is pulsing with life, this life in the kingdom. We've seen it. Within the kingdom, there is no place for darkness. There is no place for evil. Uh, oppressing demons are cast out in the kingdom, when the kingdom of God comes. Uh, the sick are healed and they are brought to full restoration when the kingdom of God comes. The leper is cleansed when the kingdom of God comes. The paralytic is instantly healed, instantaneously regained gaining his strength when the kingdom of God comes. There is a declaration that your sins are forgiven by Jesus when the kingdom of God comes. This is a time for feasting, not for fasting. This is a time of celebration and joy. You can see how the context of the kingdom affects your behaviour. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is proclaiming it is here, it is among you. I've come to bring it. Is this not a cause for celebration today? Uh, is this not a cause for us as a church to hunger for more of what God is bringing in and through the person of Jesus? Is this not a good reason for us to hope for more of what God can and will do among us? The kingdom of God is coming now. Does that not affect the way that we pray, the expectations that we have as a community of believers on mission for Jesus? We're coming to the end of 2020 and it's been a bizarre year to say the least. Um, it has been a massively challenging year. And so perhaps at the end of 2020, you, you, you're not feeling full of celebration and joy like what we're talking about here. Um, it's been a difficult year for absolutely everybody. Um, in different ways, we have had to respond to the challenges of 2020. And, and perhaps many of you listening to this are, are not feeling the, the, the sense of joy and celebration. You're feeling gloomy, um, downcast, uh, to say the least, uh, depressed, anxious, in despair. Um, there has been so much upset, hasn't there, to the ordinary way of life, um, the ordinary rhythms of life. And even as we approach Christmas in a few weeks' time, um, for all of us, Christmas is going to be far more muted um, than it has been in previous years. You know, we're going to be restricted in, in terms of who we can see and, and what we can do at Christmas time. And so 2020, for the vast majority of 2020, has been a weird, it's been a worrying, challenging, depressing year. And if you feel like this, as we think about these verses, 
we need to acknowledge that it's okay to feel like this. Um, it's normal, given what we've gone through um, across the globe. It's, it's a reasonable thing to, to not feel full of joy coming to the end of 2020. Fasting, of course, is appropriate for a funeral. That's okay. But, but, when we, when we look at what Jesus is saying here, and, and when, we, when we think about what he's saying and, and allow it to sink in, then it will start to have the effect of opening the curtains following the long dark night of 2020. Um, if we listen to the words of Jesus and start to, start to allow them to sink in, um, it will have the effect of, of opening up the curtains and revealing to us dazzling light, fresh air pouring into our needy hearts and souls. Fresh hope, the, the newness of life, if we allow what Jesus is saying to us to, to sink in. One famous Bible verse that's often shared around Christmas time uh, comes from one of the prophecies in, in the Old Testament prophet uh, called Isaiah. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. See, what Isaiah was getting at here, what he saw in his, his prophecy was pointing forward to what Jesus is saying here, that the kingdom is coming and indeed is here now through me, says Jesus. Isaiah was pointing forward to the time when Jesus would come and open the doors of the kingdom and allow light to flood in to the darkness. That's what Jesus does. That's what the kingdom does. That's what we've been seeing in Mark chapter 1 and 2 so far in our study. And so when you see that, and you see that Jesus comes to open the darkness and, and bring light, and we see what Jesus is saying here, that the, the bridegroom has now arrived, now is the time for celebration, then life will start to, to pour in and push back the darkness that you may be experiencing at the end of 2020. And this is for you. This is for you today. So why don't you open yourself to what Jesus is saying and offering here in these verses. Open your heart to Jesus. He is here. He has come among us to, to bring the kingdom to you and bring you to the kingdom. We've seen this in Mark 1 and 2 already. We will see it more and more as we go on through the Gospel of Mark, what the kingdom looks like. It is incredible. It is astounding. It is a wash with life. It is here for you. This is the kingdom that Jesus is coming to bring. This is the context of the kingdom that he opens up in these verses to us. And he's come to usher you in. And so my prayer, my prayer this year for Foundation Church Belfast has been this. Holy Spirit, please come. Holy Spirit, come. Please fill us. Please, please bring the kingdom of Jesus. Please renew us in the name of Jesus.
Well, the second thing that Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God is that there is a contradiction between it and other versions. Uh, what, what, do we, what do we mean by that? Well, look down at verses 21 and 22. Uh, Jesus says, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you have to understand that it clashes um, with any rival system or lifestyle. Um, and, and so he takes a couple of um, obvious examples from everyday life uh, that his, his listeners would have been all too aware of um, as they listen to him teach. He says, first of all, in verse tw- 21, you, you, you can't sew a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment in order to patch it up. It, if you try that, you'll make a worse tear. You'll make it a hole bigger. It'll be a disaster. The idea being that if you if you if you were to do that and, and wash the clothing with the, with the old with the new stuff patched onto it, um, the new stuff will contract. It will pull away. Um, it'll tear. The situation is twice as bad as before you started. Everybody knows that. He says likewise. Um, you can't put new wine into old wine skins because if you do again. Uh, the, the old skins will burst and you will destroy both the wine and the container. Everybody knows that. The, the, the idea there is that uh, new wine uh, has been freshly uh, crushed and produced and was not yet fully fermented. It would be stored. And as it was uh, fermenting, um, it would generate gas, carbon dioxide, and sub- subsequently in its container it would expand. And traditionally, uh, in those days, uh, as part of this fermentation process, they, the wine was not put in barrels like we would use today. Um, instead, the wine was stored in, in um, skin, uh, animal skins. Um, now, the idea being that an old skin that had previously been used to ferment wine um, in old age would become stiff and rigid and inflexible. So if you tried to put new wine into that old container that had already been used for that purpose, um, the new wine would expand, the old container, the old skin, stiff and inflexible, couldn't accept um, the, the, the growth, the change, the power within the wine, and the thing would split apart, the wine would end up on the floor, the skin would be useless for anything, both are destroyed. Um, so instead what you would do when you made your new wine, you put it into a fresh wine skin, um, a new wine skin, because that had not yet contracted with the wine. Or sorry, it had not yet um, uh, opened up with the wine. Uh, it was more elastic. And so whether it's the cloth on clothing or the new wine in wineskins scenario, Jesus listeners knew you, you, those two things, you can't mix new and old. You can't mix the new and the unshrunk, you know, the new wine and the old wineskins. Everybody knew they were incompatible. And so this is Jesus' point. In order to understand the kingdom of God better, he was showing that, that what we have is two incompatible systems at play. Whether it's the cloth or the wine, you can't mix the two together because otherwise you risk great damage. Jesus was saying through these verses, this, this radical new kingdom of God cannot mix with existing systems. They don't mix. Um, so, so therefore, when it comes to the kingdom of God, you can't patch it on to what's already there. You can't sprinkle it over what's already there. You can't top it up with what's already there. The kingdom of God is of a different order. 
It's of a different substance to anything that goes before it, and therefore it is destructive if you try and add it on to what you think is already there. Why was he saying these things? Why was he teaching in this way? Well, don't forget, he was speaking to a group within Judaism called the Pharisees. We've been talking about them already. And they lived by, effectively, this maxim, uh, the big idea uh, behind their religious system was that if you obey God, you will know his blessing. Obey him, know his blessing in your life. And so uh, uh, in order to obey God and do a superb job at obeying God, all the laws of the, you know, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, um, they developed over the centuries of their tradition a complex system of rules and regulations. Um, they accumulated various traditions over the years, over the centuries, traditions and practices that they embraced within their distinct version of, of Jewish practice. And again, the whole point was to try and obey God as, as, as well as you can, if not perfectly, so that you can expect his blessing, you can expect his, his kingdom coming, his presence, uh, not just in your life, but in the nation of Israel. Let's, let's take this really seriously. That's what they wanted to do. So for example, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament law um, that, that the people of Israel lived under um, prohibited certain types of food, uh, meat and other forms of food, to be consumed by the people of Israel. Um, God said, if you eat, for example, a pig or, or other animals um, in the law, um, you will become defiled. You will become ceremonially dirty in my eyes. Um, so the idea is that you avoid these foods um, remaining uh, distinct, separate from the rest of the nations around you. They eat this stuff. I'm saying, no, you shouldn't. Therefore, you are distinct. You are sort of marked out. You are separated in my sight, um, not like the other nations around you. That was the point of, of many of these ceremonial food laws. Everybody in Israel lived like that. They, they didn't eat this food. But the, the, according to the tradition of the elders and, and uh, the, the Pharisees, the group of Pharisees around the time of Jesus, not only would they, for example, seek to obviously obey the Old Testament laws and the food laws, so forth, but they then added a whole bunch of other traditions and practices around uh, the, the big ones, if you like, so that uh, their obedience would be... Uh, Really good, really strong. So, for example, um, yes, they would not be eating certain foods, but they would say, but, but on top of that, we'll also make sure that if we've been to the marketplace where there's a, you know, crowds of people, um, we're going to ceremonially wash our hands and cleanse our hands to make sure that we're not defiled by, you know, by touching other people. Um, we're then going to make sure we take our clean crockery, our, our cups and our pots and our various vessels, and we're going we're gonna to cleanse them as well to make sure they are not defiled. We're actually even going to cleanse ceremonially the seats that we sit on before we eat our food. Um, and so this type of, of uh, thought snowballed over the years. It became more and more complex, more and more rules added to protect the rules. You know, rules around rules around rules. To be a Pharisee. Uh, it was basically a full-time job. If you wanted to take it seriously, if you wanted to really know the blessing of God, um, it was pretty much a full-time job. And so you can see if you were committed to being a Pharisee, um, you, you were 
the very least highly regarded by regular uh, religious people, regular Jews who would look at the Pharisees and think, my goodness, these guys are really serious. Like, I could never do that. Look at how holy they are. Look at how much they love God. Look at how much they want uh, to know his blessing. That's incredible. They were, they were very highly regarded. But effectively, the Pharisees were saying through their behavior and through their traditions, this is how you gain favor with God. This is how you please God. Do these things, these, these thousands of traditions, adopt this lifestyle, do these rules and regulations, then you can expect the favor of God in your life and in our country, in our nation. Then we can know the blessing of God. Then you know you're in God's good books. And, and let's face it, much of this was, was on the surface, at least very well-intentioned, um, but horribly wrong. Because Jesus comes onto the scene and effectively says to the Pharisees and those who admire them, this is just not working. Uh, you, you think you're honouring God, but actually you're doing the opposite. You're dishonouring him. Actually, you know what? God is unhappy with you for behaving like this. He is not pleased with you. Because you're, you're making it so hard, says Jesus, you're making it so hard for people to come to God. You're, you're blocking them from coming to God with all these rules and regulations. No one can keep these rules, says Jesus. Not even you, Pharisees, if you're really honest with yourselves. You think you're earning God's favour, says Jesus, but you can't. You can't earn it. That's the point. It's always been grace. It's always been God's unmerited favour on those who don't deserve it. That's how God acts. It's always been like that from the start. The Pharisees got it horribly wrong. See, God chooses to be gracious towards people because he is gracious. God chooses to love because he is loving. That's just who he is. That's what he does. And so if you come to a God like that and you think that you can earn his favour by doing stuff, you've got it all wrong. You've got him wrong. It's actually offensive ultimately to God because it shows you've misunderstood the whole thing. You can't buy grace. That's the point. God chooses to lavish his grace on who he chooses. He loves who he loves because he is love. So when Jesus entered the scene and said the kingdom of God is here and it's come with power and it's come with healing and it's come with forgiveness, the Pharisees, with their system and their traditions and their rules, they just couldn't com compute they won't accept what Jesus is here, the implications of what he's saying. He doesn't fit their system, their traditions. They don't come alongside each other well. So these old wineskins can't accept the new wine of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. That's the problem. The Pharisees effectively have prepared for a funeral and Jesus comes hosting a wedding feast. Jesus therefore wants to be crystal clear with them and with us. You cannot mix the old with the new. The, these two systems are not compatible. I'm hosting a wedding feast here. Or maybe to use more modern um, language, the Pharisees thought they could just simply, at, at, at best, add another app 
to their phone system, uh, add the Jesus app to their phone system. But Jesus came along and effectively said, no, 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 it's not a new app that you need, it's a new operating system. Uh, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you will need a complete reset. Uh, you will need a fresh reboot. You will need to have the system wiped and a, and a whole new operating system installed from, from the ground upwards. That is what you need, not just a little tweak here and there. The two systems are incompatible. There is a contradiction of the kingdom. And that's a problem for us too today, not just for the Pharisees. Um, we're not the Pharisees, uh, but yet the, the spirit of the Pharisee lives on. Uh, it, is, it is alive and kicking. And actually, we can find the spirit of the Pharisee in various types of people, whether they are from a religious background or from a non-religious background. Everybody can be affected by the spirit of the Pharisee that we see here in these verses. Let me tease that out a little bit. Um, if you are from a, a non-religious background, you, you don't follow any particular faith system, and perhaps you're, you're listening to, to this teaching and, and, and you've been tracking with us through the Gospel of Mark, maybe you're looking into Christianity and examining the claims about Jesus, um, first of all, you're, you're very welcome. It is great to have you listen in. Maybe you're wondering about faith, you're wondering about Jesus himself and, and, and who is he and what does he stand for? And, and sometimes if we're coming from that perspective, um, we, we can think to ourselves that all we need to do um, is add the religious uh, app to what we've already got installed in our lives. Um, maybe this Jesus thing, we can just sort of further enhance our lives, we can enhance our, our experience um, a bit of religion is never a bad thing. So we add the religion app. Um, but it's, it's there among the other apps of our lives. We've got the relationships app. We've got the sexuality app. We've got the money and finance apps. We've got our diet and exercise apps. We've got our social apps. And so, and so, and so we just think sometimes to ourselves, we can just add the Jesus app. Or the, or the church app, you know, and then that will just broaden things out and, and give us an even uh, better life. But as Jesus says here to the Pharisees, you're not just, I'm not just here to provide another app for your life here. I'm, I'm here to give you a whole new operating system. It's called the kingdom of God. <laughs> Effectively, he says, right, give me, give me your phone. <laughs> give me your life. Jesus says, come, come to me. Uh, he says, give me your all. Give me, give me your life. Trust me with your life. I, I made it after all. I can be trusted to handle it. See, coming to Jesus is not ultimately a loss. It's not a, uh, a negative sum gain. Coming to Jesus is a, is a massive shift. It is, it, is, it is life in place of death. Yes, there are things that we say no to, we, we, we deny, our, you know, we, we disregard, we remove, we repent, uh, we turn from. Yes, we hand over the, the, the reign of our lives to Jesus. But when we believe him, 
when we trust him, when we trust that what he says and who he is is true, then we enter the kingdom of God as we see it here beginning to be laid out before us in our studies through, through Mark. That's the, the, the non-religious spirit of the Pharisee, so to speak, if we can call it that. What about the religious? What about the, those of us from a, a religious background? And particularly, this is a particular challenge for those of us from a religious background, especially uh, from a Christian tradition. In fact, it's quite scary when we start to think of the implications of what Jesus is, is saying here. And here's the thing. We can rely on our traditions or our beliefs or our religious systems and stop relying on the grace of God. Um, what do I mean? We, traditions are good things, uh, broadly speaking. There are many good things within the sort of inherited traditions that, that we may have, um, particularly growing up in, in, a, in a Christian tradition, Christian culture, so to speak. Um, many things, many healthy routines that get passed down from parents to children, uh, you know, from other family members, shown, modelled how to live uh, a life in response to the gospel of Jesus. Wonderful church attendance, praying, giving money, uh, you know, to, to charity, to the poor, even fasting, uh, attending meetings, uh, listening to Christian music, reading the Bible, reading other Christian books. These are all great things. These are all wonderful traditions, um, great practices. But here's the problem. If we look to those traditions and practices and we say, aha, God must be pleased with me because I'm doing this stuff. God must be pleased with me. He must therefore bless me. If we start to look at those traditions and think like that, then we find ourselves in a huge problem because we are relying on our traditions or our beliefs or our systems instead of the grace of God. We've started to think like a Pharisee. If we start to say this thing here, that's not Jesus, but this thing here makes me right before God, we've started to behave like a dry, old, inflexible wineskin. And we will be an inhospitable environment, let's say, for the kingdom of God in us and around us. We will be less open to God's radical kingdom. We become happy comfortable, settled in our traditions rather than in God himself, the spirit of the Pharisee. Just before we close out, let me, let me give you some diagnostic questions. If you're, if you're sitting here thinking, mm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, is this me? Have I, have I fallen into this trap? Um, let me give some diagnostic questions to, to maybe help just open this up a little bit, practically speaking, particularly if you're from a Christian heritage, Christian background, maybe even have called yourself a Christian. Um, if you have, by the way, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but let's, let's, let's listen and let's allow these, these questions to challenge us um, as we go through. There's eight questions and you just need to answer to yourself right now, yes or no. Yes or no? Here we go. Question number one. 
have the claims of Christ become dull, disinteresting, or over-familiar to you? Yes or no? Question two. Do you think that you know all that you need to know to get along with God? Yes or no? Question number three. Have you ceased to experience the power of God in you? Day to day, week to week, year to year. Yes or no? Question number four. Have you lost a sense of awe and wonder and amazement when it comes to your relationship with God? Yes or no? Question five. In place of freedom, do you feel restricted, enslaved or burdened by your efforts to be religious? Yes or no? Question six, have you become increasingly nitpicky and judgmental towards the faults of other people, especially those within the faith community? Yes or no? Question seven, is your devotion to God empty, lacking a sense of sacrifice and service? Yes or no? And finally, number eight, are you lacking motivation to bring others to the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ? If you answered yes to a significant proportion of those eight questions, then you are at risk of falling into the trap set by the Pharisees that it's not about God and his grace and the kingdom. It's about the traditions and the practices and the behaviours that you're following. But the good news is, for all of us, no matter what our background and how many yeses we said yes to in those questions, the answer is the same. Uh, the solution is the same. Jesus said and says to us today through the Spirit, repent and believe. Turn to him. Trust him. Whether for the first time or again and again and again, turn again to him. Because that is how you come to him afresh. That is how he, he will unleash the power and the force of the kingdom in you and around you through repenting and believing, trusting in him. Why don't you do that just now?